Hello, everyone. Dr. Constance here with Beyond Clinic Walls Wellness here for another episode of Munch and Learn, where I give you short yet impactful conversations surrounding important health topics shared over your lunch period so you can munch while you learn. And today's episode is entitled Gut Punch because we'll be talking about colorectal cancer, Awareness Month in addition to gut health. But if you tune in before, you know that we got to cover the munch part. So I'm not sure what you're eating today, but it just so happens that unexpectedly, uh, one of my aunts is here in the city that I live in, Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, So after I film this, we're actually going to be having lunch. Um, So even though I meal prepped, actually my boyfriend did, uh, today we're gonna be having a meal together. So I decided to stay on top of my own personal health and wellness goals. I searched ahead. That is an important tip that if there are dietary restrictions that you have or other things that you're working on health-wise that you want to avoid, uh, doing a little research ahead of time can decrease the stress of eating out. And so a restaurant that I knew would be able to cover um, the foods that I'm currently eating is Kava. And Kava is a fast casual restaurant that's similar to like a Chipotle, except for it has Mediterranean food. And I think I've already figured out exactly what I want to eat. And let me tell you, you need to get into it. It is this tahini Caesar bowl. And so, you know, we're all familiar with the Caesar salad, but Kava turns this upside down and puts their own Mediterranean twist on it. So let me read to you. Um, This is the classic chicken Caesar reimagined with a kava twist. So they do grilled chicken, hummus, pita crisp, and pickled onions, feta, romaine, and arugula. But the kicker is they do a tahini Caesar dressing instead of the classic Caesar dressing. So I am really excited to try this because I've never tried it before. And I'm sure it's delicious. And I'll let you know next month. Um... So with the munch part of this munch and learn done, let's get into the topic today. And I actually want to start with the conversation surrounding colorectal cancer screening. Um, And certainly, generally, we talk about colon cancer, but when we're doing the screening, it also includes screening for rectal cancer, um, which certainly is challenging for some people. And the truth of the matter is, that colorectal cancer or colon cancer and rectal cancer are the second leading cause of death related to cancer in our country. Um, So the fact that uh, one in 24 people are diagnosed with colorectal cancer in their lifetime uh, should be good reason for us all to take a little time to learn more about um, getting screened for colon cancer. And the thing is, is that until recently, the recommendation was that you started colon cancer screening at the age of 50. Um, But what we've learned over time is that that's just not soon enough, that we're missing a lot of cases. And so the age has been bumped up to 45. However, don't be fooled because there's always exceptions to rules, right? 
So we also pay close attention to what your family history is. So if you have a family member that was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, um, and in particular, a first degree um, or immediate family member, so this would be a parent, a sibling, um, the recommendation would be that you get screened at the age of 40 or at least 10 years before that family member was diagnosed. So good, easy, clean example is that if your mother was diagnosed with colon cancer when she was 50, that means that you should get screened at 40. If she was diagnosed at 35, then you should get screened when you're 25, et cetera, et cetera. I think you get the point. Um, however, certainly with this change in the overall recommendations, I'm excited that so many people are going to avoid the stress and um, morbidity and challenges with the health that could come from an advanced uh, colon cancer. And so, of course, that begs the question, well, how exactly is it that we screen for colon cancer. And when I'm talking to patients in my clinical practice, the way that I approach this conversation is that in a lot of ways, um, I sort of rank it as like a gold, silver, and bronze approach. So there are generally three different options that you can use to screen for colonoscopy. And we use them based on risk factors. Um, but how uh, specific and sensitive they are to detecting colon cancer is why I put it in the gold, silver, bronze category, right? So at the bottom in the bronze, you have a stool testing for blood. And so why this is helpful is that if you have polyps or precancerous uh, lesions inside of the colon, it becomes more irritated and there is microscopic blood that bleeds out into the colon. So you do this particular test once a year and if it's positive, it lets us know that there might be some other concern. The challenge, of course, is with that, people bleed for different reasons, right? So you could have hemorrhoids, you can have irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease. And so that would make a test for blood less accurate in you and less specific, of course, to cancer itself. So that's why it's sort of at the bottom. Also, you have to do it every year, which can be problematic to remember or um, create a burden for some people. Um, so then that silver option is actually um, testing not only for blood, but for um, modified DNA, which could be signs that someone has cancer. And uh, we often refer to this, or we commercially know this as Cologuard. Um, so Cologuard is a test that is not only looking for the blood, but looking for how I like to describe it, the DNA of the cancer cells. Um, and so the good thing about this is that it's more specific than testing for blood alone. So that makes it more accurate in actually detecting cancers. And um, it's about, uh, it detects about 93% of um, cancers, which is pretty good. And that's even advanced staged cancers. Um, and so the good thing about this is if it's negative, you only have to do it 
every three years. So that starts to decrease the burden for the average person. However, similar to the stool testing for blood, um, if you have certain chronic conditions or if you've had colon cancer before, this is not going to be as accurate for you. So then we get to the what a lot of people consider the gold standard, which is doing a colonoscopy or a sigmoidoscopy. And the best way to understand that is that a practitioner is taking a camera and going through the rectum. Sorry, if you're still eating your lunch and have a sensitive stomach, this might not be the best conversation for you right now. So just put the fork down for just a little bit of a second. But anyways, the colonoscopy and sigmoidoscopy specifically takes a camera through the rectum after it's been totally cleaned out and visualizes the inside of the colon. What us doctors love about that is that if we see something um, abnormal, we're going to take a sample of that immediately. And so we'll know for sure if this is something that we need to be concerned about or not. Based on what is found on the colonoscopy or sigmoidoscopy helps decide how often you're going to and do it. I like colonoscopies because the recommendations are a bit more straightforward. If your colonoscopy is completely negative, that means that you get another colonoscopy in 10 years or under the circumstances that you have a gastrointestinal issue. The sigmoidoscopy, it gets a little bit more complicated. And honestly, I don't have patients that get sigmoidoscopies um, very often. So if you want to know more about a sigmoidoscopy, uh, drop me a question um, on the video or uh, send that email to info at beyondclinicwallswellness.com um, to get a more in-depth uh, description of what that looks like. The challenge, of course, with a colonoscopy in particular is the prep process. So when you're prepping for colonoscopy, basically us doctors make you have diarrhea. And so that can create a significant burden for someone who is working because that can mean a day off work in preparation, um, especially considering you can't always have a test done on a Monday and be off on a Sunday. Realistically, that's just not everybody's schedule, right? Um, so that's one thing that I like to have a conversation about. And then also, we are not just going up your booty with a camera without sedating you, y'all. I mean, I'm sorry. I had to get a little gritty just then because just, just call it what it is, right? But we are not taking a camera up your rectum without you being sedated and because of that that means that you have to have someone drive you there because after the procedure you wouldn't be able to drive yourself home safely without being a risk to not only yourself but other people on the road so in the end i tell people that the best screening for anything is the screening that you actually do right we can't help you if we don't have any knowledge of what's going on so whether it's the colonoscopy that you do every 10 years because it's totally normal or if it's the stool testing for blood that you do once a year it doesn't matter as long as we're doing something to decrease the burden that could potentially happen to your health if you were um, diagnosed later in the process with a particular um, form of colon cancer. So keep that in mind. Um, 
And the reason why I like to explicitly say that is because sometimes people only hear about one option, i.e. the colonoscopy, and they get very anxious about what that's going to look like for them. But um, that opens the door to the conversation to let people know that there are other ways to go about getting screened for colon, um, for colon cancer or colorectal cancer. Um, and so that means just... Uh, be open-minded and um, know that you have options. Uh, if you feel pressure to do one option in particular, uh, please do have a conversation with your healthcare providers to learn more about why they think that particular test is the best test for you. But now you are um, armed with a little bit more information on how you can walk in and decrease your risk of colon cancer by getting screened. Um, but in regards to general risk for colon cancer, uh, this is a good segue into the next topic, which is gut health. And I mean, what exactly is gut health? Um, I could say as a medical doctor in particular, it could be challenging to explicitly this define what exactly that means. Um, but generally, just like when we talk about heart health, um, gut health is the absence of challenges that create gastrointestinal concerns. Or you could think of it in a different way and say that um, a person who is striving for good gut health is doing things that positively contribute to the appropriate function of the gut, right? And so what does that mean, right? I said a bunch of things, but um, oh my gosh, of course my watch just wants to embarrass me randomly. But what exactly does it mean to work towards gut health or think about gut health? Um, this has become a huge topic in the health and wellness industry right now. Um, and so even though I'm not the expert, um, I have to be aware of this so that I can have conversations with patients and clients, right? Um, and so part of the reason why it has become a bigger conversation is because there's a camp of people that believe that um, poor gut health uh, is the root of other health challenges and that if we improve gut health we're improving anxiety we're improving um depression and other chronic conditions that cause a lot of challenges in people's lives so again good gut health is defined as effective digestion um, absorption of the food that we eat in absence of gastrointestinal illnesses um and within that, sort of under the umbrella of that, that's also making sure that the balance of good bacteria and bad bacteria is where it should be, and that um, the immune status of your body is where it should be as well, because the gut, the gut does quite a bit for um, the immune system as well. And so, you know, the conversation of good bacteria and bad bacteria, again, is quite a loaded question because, like, how is it that we know if we have the right balance? Well, if you have chronic um, diarrhea or you have diarrhea that is very frequent or you have constipation that you can't get 
can't get good control of. Um, you frequently have issues with gas or bloating. Those are things that could be an indication that you have some gastrointestinal concern or that the balance of the good and bad bacteria are um, not where it should be for you. Uh, again, more popular um, in mainstream conversations right now, but that's where things like prebiotics and probiotics come into play. And those things can help restore those, um, the natural environment of the gut that you should have. Um, but you might wonder, how is it that things get out of whack in the first place? Well, one, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be an answer to a lot of health concerns that we experience, especially as Americans, but our lifestyle. So the types of things that we eat, um, having a regular exercise routine is going to positively influence um, good gut health. And so in particular, um, decreasing some of the bad fats like um, trans um, saturated fats are going to be more challenging. Um, high sugar and diets are going to be more challenging for the gut as well. Um, in addition to excessive alcohol consumption, smoking, things that we can't control as much is increased age and stress. So all of those things can lead to challenges with um, gut health. Um, and so as I alluded to before, this isn't something that we routinely um, talk about in the traditional medical community, or we call it um, allopathic and osteopathic community. Um, osteopathic community is people who are DOs um, instead of MDs. Um, and so part of the issue is that uh, some of the research isn't as robust as general um, physiological issues. And also it can be challenging to test these things, right? Um, however, I would predict within the next five or 10 years, some of these um, testings and conversations are gonna become even more mainstream with your primary care doctor, your gastroenterologist. But for now, let me give you a little tip on what you can do if you're specifically concerned about your gut health. Um, I am totally open to saying when I am not sure how to approach a certain medical condition. Um, I think that is one of the most important parts about being a primary care provider and one of the tenets of how I was trained as a family medicine physician. I do absolutely everything that I can for my patients. As a coach, I do everything that I can within the realm of what's appropriate and makes sense. Um, but when I don't know what the answer is, I have to be willing to refer and direct people and have the knowledge to be able to identify that and direct people where they need to go. And so this specialty of medicine and the health and wellness industry that more um, specifically addresses this is actually functional medicine. Um, and in functional medicine, Doctors, in addition to nurse practitioners and physician's assistants, receive additional training that emphasizes not only diagnosing 
illnesses, but getting to the root cause of specifically what's wrong. And sometimes it's easy in some situations and other times it's not, right? So uh, for example, if someone has a urinary tract infection, um, we get a urinalysis or a sample of their urine. We run that in the lab and there are characteristics of the components of that urine that would let us know if a person um, was likely to have a urinary tract infection. In addition to that, we could send a culture um, to uh, through the lab as well that can tell us the specific bacteria that is causing that infection. And that can help guide our treatment, right? It helps us more effectively choose an antibiotic. However, if someone has diarrhea and we do a test and we don't see any particular infection that's going on, and we did a colonoscopy and we don't see a particular gastrointestinal diagnosis like um, inflammatory bowel disease, um, then what is it that we do? Like they don't have Crohn's, they don't have ulcerative colitis, we don't see blood in their stool, then what's the diagnosis? Well, there are testings that can give you an idea of what the um, microbiome of your gut or the gut, uh, the bacterial environment of your gastrointestinal system. And that's one of the things that functional medicine providers actually do. And I am not ashamed to say that I have sent patients of mine to functional medicine providers because of the increased um, breath or the level of testing that they do as far as um, in addition to looking at the gut, um, looking at different um, micronutrients that a person might have um, challenges with, and they focus on total nutrition um, at the micronutrient as well as the macronutrient level, in addition to the gut um, environment. Uh, in fact, in my local area, one of the providers that I have more information about, um, her name is Dr. Rutledge, and she's a, a chiropractor by training, but has additional training to be a functional medicine um, provider, and she treats a couple of my patients, actually, uh, and that's here in the Wilmington area. Her practice is Wilmington Functional Medicine, but if you Google functional medicine in and then insert your city, um, I'm sure you will find something that will kind of guide you, if not in your actual city, close by, uh, so that you can get a little bit more um, information about that. Uh, so I know this only scratched the surface of gut health, um, but certainly I want to encourage you to continue to strive to be your healthiest self, no matter where you live, what you look like, what diagnoses you have. I know that you can get there if you just work at it. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation today, and I hope to see you next time for Much and Learn with Dr. Constance.